Hello, coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Her Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories from amazing women who have reinvented their careers or lives. Could be total changes, could be side hustles. I'm Stephanie Pierce, mother of three, wife of one, former corporate exec, and now I am the founder and CEO of StephPierce.com. And I am Julie Burton, founder of Modern Well, a female-centered co-working space in Minneapolis. And I'm the author of The Self-Care Solution, A Modern Mother's Must-Have Guide to Health and Well-Being. And I'm a mother and a wife. In each episode, Julie and I will bring you these awesome stories about the power, pain, and laughs that come from change. Are you ready for your next chapter? Well, hello, Steph. Hey, Jules. It's a special day. It's It's always a special day when we're together. Welcome to her next chapter. And we are, we're celebrating today. Um, We're having like a, we're having, you know, like when you're a kid and you're like, well, isn't it my half birthday? It's my half birthday, right? Yeah. Yes. So like I get a half a cake or something. Well, <laughs> today is our is our half birthday. Happy half birthday stuff. Happy half birthday to you too. Six it's month, six month anniversary birthday, whatever you want to call it, of of our podcast. And we are so excited and we are so grateful to all of our listeners who've helped us move it along and keep things interesting and um, promote these stories of reinvention. So um, we also have a very special guest with us today um, that we are so excited um, about. And I will let Steph introduce um, our guest for today's episode. So our guest today, is um, our new friend, Leslie Holman. And Leslie is from Pinnacle Performance Group. So Leslie is awesome and special and Pinnacle is awesome and special. And why are we having all this awesome specialness today? Well, Pinnacle and Leslie are our very first episode sponsors. And so we are um, humbled and blessed and excited for you to hear Leslie's story and to hear a little bit more about Pinnacle Performance Group. And so they are our guests of honor. It's like an even more specially special time than ever before. And so we're going to let Leslie talk in a minute, but you know, <laughs> Julie and I like to talk. Um, and um, as you know, we always have our guests kind of tell their reinvention story. But before we do that, I really wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to hear a little bit more about Pinnacle. Um, And like I said, you know, I'm going to give you some juicy details and Leslie will share more too. But Pinnacle Performance Group, which I have been calling Pinnacle for short, they're a consulting practice, which is based here in the Twin Cities. And they specialize in things like strategic execution, which of course is this comprehensive implementation of change. And um, for those of you who have been in organizations and business, you know how complex um, change can be. And so Pinnacle was founded in 1990 and they provided operations and training support for multi-unit retail organizations like Lowe's and a numerous national quick service restaurant change. So in 2012, that's when our very special guest and friend Leslie Holman became both the owner and the new CEO of the organization. So 
that's got reinvention written all over it. Um, but Leslie brought to Pinnacle a passion to fill the void between strategy and action, a focus she built during her time uh, with management consulting firms like McKinsey and Company, which I know I've spent a lot of time with, um, coupled with her first job as a what? That's right, friends, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, <laughs> back, working on the manufacturing floor, which, you know, all hail to those of us who've worked on the manufacturing floor. Um, and Leslie worked at Ford. Leslie and I have a lot in common because I also spent some time at Ford. Um, but with that guiding principle, principle um, Pinnacle really expanded beyond designing and developing training solutions to be really broader and assist companies in developing impact through execution, which um, I think most of us know uh, talk is great, execution is better. So today, Pinnacle has a robust practice in implementing change and working with clients like General Mills and Medtronic. So Pinnacle excels at taking a disruptive idea, uh, like a new strategy or helping an, or an organization move from its current state to its desired future state. So for all of those leaders, um, all of you leaders that are facing uncertainty of managing through internal transformation, Pinnacle's um, strategic execution practice could be exactly what you need. Um, and so you, you know that we put all the information about how to connect with Pinnacle on our website. We're going to give Leslie more of an opportunity to tell you how to do that as well. Um, but they're really focused on creating uh, customized solutions for their clients. And I think that is amazing. So we're excited to have Leslie joining us. Welcome, Leslie. We are just, we're so happy to have you. And thank you to Pinnacle for believing in the power of stories to make an impact. So Leslie, now we will actually let you talk. <laughs> we really will. Um, so let's, let's get started with you um, sharing. What, what does reinvention mean to you? Well, I think the word reinvention itself humbles me because to me, it's, it seems so big. Um, and I feel like my, my, I would probably describe my reinvention, what it means to me is more of a fancy way to say, what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, and I feel like I run into that. I've run into that numerous times in my life. So, um, I don't normally, I don't know if I, uh, I have reinvented myself with one big shebang, but I think that I've had a journey of stepping stones that um, together they've gotten me from a really interesting point A to a different point B. Some of my people are like, wait, you were a mechanical engineer and then you bought a training company. Like help me figure out how that worked. Um, but for me, reinvention has been a journey and adding a different step to each phase of that journey um, to to just keep learning and growing and exploring the world and, and still figuring out what I want to do when I grow up. I love that. That, that, that should, that could even like be our tagline, like reinvention. What do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, <laughs> it's pretty much it. It's, right. it's you're always growing. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more than, um, you know, Leslie, you're, you've, um, got some roots here in the Twin Cities business community. You're a Carlson grad, um, a board member for the YWCA. But I wonder if you could just talk, tell us a little bit more about you. Tell us a little bit more about this journey from a career perspective that you've taken. 
Well, you were right. I am Minnesota born and bred. I grew up in Faribault, Minnesota in a small town. Um, and the way I think about this journey is really like, what did I learn at each stage? Um, and so I still in my, my business practice, I kind of go back to like, I believe in the power of a handshake. I believe in the power of doing the right thing. Um, and probably one of the biggest things I took from growing up in small town, Minnesota is just always do your best. And it's all you can hold yourself to is doing your best. Um, and that advice has, uh, has carried me forth very well. So, um, when I left Faribault, I, I sort of said I started on my mini, mini Eastern journey. Um, I went to the University of Wisconsin, go Badgers, um, studied mechanical engineering. Um, and from there, I, uh, I went from being like the super busy person to really saying, hey, I want to just kind of settle down and focus in. Um, and I, I realized that power just kind of doing what you want and for, sort of forgetting about the rest of the world. And um, Stephanie, I'm sure you can relate to this. The biggest thing I remember is like sitting, I would tend to like sit in the front row of the class or near the front um, more because it kept me ensured I was paying attention. And um, and uh, I, I have a very vivid idea of sitting in this course and we get divided up into groups and I look to the guy to my right. I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Leslie. And he's like, I know. We've been in like six classes together. I'm like, oh. And I like, I just, and I just didn't get it. I didn't get like, why did the professor know my name? And it, it literally took me like two years to figure out there were 250 students in my mechanical engineering class and there were six women. I was like, no, really? Huh. Um, but I never, it was never like, oh me, poor me. Or I'm, I'm just like, whatever. We're studying math. This is good. Um, and I think it like just gave me the confidence to like do my thing. Um, and I didn't really care if it was not traditional or not, like whatever, like we all have the same homework and we have the same stuff. And um, I remember interviewing for my first job and having someone make some sort of sexist comment about like, you know, you get to, but like we, you know, you get to that age and then you go off and be a mom and we don't do that or anything. And just being so angry. And I'm like, I do not care where I go to work, but you better hire me because I'm good at it. Like I will go work at McDonald's for the rest of my life because I'm good at it, but sure as hell don't hire me because I'm a freaking woman. Sorry, I get a little heated on that. Um, but um, <laughs> I just, I, I wanted to be known for me and who I was and an individual and I had confidence that I could do it. So um, Wisconsin really taught me about just believing in myself and living that journey. Um, so then I started out as a mechanical engineer. Um, and my biggest lesson there was uh, make your mother proud. And I always say like, make your mother proud, make your grandfather proud. Like who are those people who you look up to? But you know, as Stephanie knows, you spend some time on the plant floor and I saw a lot of 21, 22 year old whippersnapper engineers with the piece of paper that said they were smart come in and try and tell these, these line guys what's what and who's who. And that's not the way it works out there. Um, you go back, I went back to, um, I was uh, working on a launch at Ford and I'd have to truck out to this pilot plant like once a week with my part. And I go work with this guy who literally worked there 39 years. He, Terry, I can still picture Terry. He's been there forever. And I'm like one year out of school. I know nothing, but I would go out every week and take Terry my part and we, the door trim panel, 2005 Ford Focus, really exciting. <clears throat> we'd like hang it on the sheet metal 
and Terry would like give me pointers. I'm like, this is a little tight. This, you know, you should do this so that when we get to build, it will go together. Um, so I'd like go back, work on my stuff, go talk to Terry. And I did this for a few months. <clears throat> we get to this build and my part comes up. It's like a big deal in a young engineer's life. Terry goes and put it on and you're standing in these huge rooms and there's all these, I actually worked for a vendor, a Ford, a spinoff of Ford. So there's all these vendors that are there and you're putting on one part at a time. And like, if your part doesn't go, it's like a misbuild. Everything stops. It's a big deal. Terry like gets my part, goes to put it on. Doesn't really go on very well. He takes his rubber hammer and just smacks on it. <laughs> like, uh, just going to town on this thing and like gets it on. He turns around and looks at me. He's like, I'll work on that. I'm like, okay. The next people, he gets their part. He pushes it with a finger. It doesn't go in. Misbuild. And I stop. And my coworkers are like, what the heck did you do? I mean, I literally had a female coworker who was like, did you wear lipstick? Like, how did that happen? And I was just so dumbfounded because I'm like, no, the man has worked here for 40 years. And I showed him the respect that that experience deserved. And I counseled him like a peer and actually someone, an elder who knew more than I did. I asked for his wisdom. I collaborated with him and we built up a mutual respect. And so when it came time, he knew I, that I wasn't going to say, oh, you know, Terry works on the line. He doesn't know anything. Like, no, Terry's a pretty smart guy. And I think it that I hope is one of my lessons I've carried forth is you have to um, treat people like make your mother proud. You treat people with respect. You have good manners. You honor the wisdom around you. It's not about the titles. It's about the character of the individuals and that that was sort of my next stage in the journey of like, okay, <clears throat> going forth. So I always had this idea I wanted to go to business school and I, I got, part of it was reinforced at Ford. I had to put a Sony badge on my door trim panel from the marketers and I was so mad at the marketing people. Like, do you know how hard this is? Do you know what the park complexity is of this? I was like, okay, I got to go to school so I can stop these stupid Sony badges, which actually probably made a ton of sense once I went through marketing class. But I um, <clears throat> was kind of figuring out where I wanted to go to school, ended up being super blessed. It was like the dot-com bust of the early 2000s. So I had the opportunity to get a scholarship at um, Carlson. And it was like one of those times where like, you didn't know if you were going to have a job when you came out, you know, every dot-com would just explode it. And so I was like, oh, that seems like a good thing. Um, and I also knew I wanted to come back to Minnesota. Um, there was a, there was a commercial on MTV at the time, and it said, um, I was debating between Minnesota and Michigan, and it was a, a commercial of Madonna talking about when she was younger, and she said, I just wanted to get the hell out of Michigan. I was like, yes, me too. I'm ready to go back. So um, I took Madonna's advice, and I, I, I headed back, headed back west, um, went to the University of Minnesota, and it was, it was interesting for me after going to a really huge uh, undergraduate program to come back to a uh, a program where like my whole class, like everyone was 120 people versus, you know, just mechanical engineers were 250. So um, I loved the Carlson program and the, the small feeling it had and still have great friends um, from that time. And, um, and so Carlson really taught me about the importance of net, like your network and who do you know? And it's so cool now that um, 
I know I could pick up the phone and call anyone from my class and be able to, to talk to them um, and get their counsel or guidance. And so from Carlson, I went from my little engineering view to like the get, building up that view of the whole business world um, and did it academically. But I think the, mo the, the important thing has been building those network connections that have come back to serve me really well. And I try to serve them as well. Um, so I'm continuing on my journey here. I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to get my MBA. I'm going to go back to my little manufacturing company or my big manufacturing company. Life will be good. <clears throat> and then I got this, this is back in the days of like paper resume books that they send out to companies. And I got this invitation to interview at this place called McKinsey. I, I had no idea what it was other than a, a mentor of mine out in Detroit. He had a classmate of his from business school that worked at McKinsey and he highly respected. So I was like, well, Dwayne thinks that this is a good place. So I'll go talk to them. I think that was like my best gift of being totally walking in blind. Cause I was not nervous. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, whatever. I'm just going to go talk to these people. Um, I went through the interview process and got an opportunity to go there for a summer internship and was just blown away by the, the wisdom and the intellect of the people surrounding me. Like, I don't know what I'd rather do, but this seems pretty cool. Like debates at lunch about like why liking modern art is wrong. And I don't know, it just like itched my intellectual curiosity a lot. So um, did a 180 on where I thought I was going to go. So that was, you know, my nice little planned life. There was other personal hiccups in the way, but like, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to go back to manufacturing. I'm going to try this consulting thing. Um, and I was at McKinsey, I think about five years. Um, learned all sorts of random things from like air conditioners to property casualty insurance. Um, but the thing I've learned there is you've got to find your people. You can kind of do, for me, I can do anything as long as I'm working with good people. Um, so worked with some good people, learned a bunch of random stuff, finally got to the point where I'm like, I'm burnt out. I'm done. I need something else. Um, got an amazing opportunity to um, uh, be the interim um, supporter for the Itasca project, which is a um, sort of an under the radar organization that pulls together this, uh, the, some of the, the leaders of the largest organizations in the Twin Cities, from mayors, a governor to philanthropy and um, public, sec public sector, private business. Um, and uh, got to sit in this crazy world watching these people come together every week. And I, the time they were working on job growth and they were launching what's now Greater MSP. And it was um, Ken Powell, the CEO of General Mills at the time, and Marilyn Carlson Nelson from Carlson Companies. And then Richard Davis was the, the former um, CEO of US Bank, was the head of ITASC at the, at the time. And just, like I think I was about 32 or 33, and sitting in this room and watching the wisdom of these people come together was just, it's, it, I mean, it almost gives me chills to this point in time. But, what I saw was these business leaders who were having a profound impact on their community because they were business leaders. Um, and that was my little wisdom there was, okay, I can make a difference in my world by being successful in business. I, I was sort of at that, like, what do I want to do when I grow up? I want to leave McKinsey. I don't know what I want to do. And, you know, people are like, I'm sort of burnout. I'm going to go to nonprofit. And I was like, I don't know, that doesn't really fit me. And that was my aha of like, these people are just, they're literally changing the world. And they're doing it as leaders in business. Um, and so I, I was blessed to do that for about nine months, see Greater MSP get launched. Um, it also exposed me to the world of entrepreneurship. Um, Marilyn was leading a, um, 
effort with a gentleman by the name of Michael Gorman, who's a private expert or private equity leader here in town. And um, they were working on job creation, job growth through job creation of, through entrepreneurship. And I didn't know anything about like the entrepreneurial ecosystem or the community here. And I, I got to know some of these people. I was like, well, this is kind of cool. I love like these people are thinking big thoughts and, you know, way too full on the glasses of positivity juice. And like, I am all in. So I remember having a, a conversation with Michael. I'm like, Michael, I think I want to try. I want to I explore private equity as my next step. Um, and uh, he sort of told me all the reasons that that was a bad idea and how few opportunities there were in Minnesota and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, but it's amazing. I love it. Um, so he introduced me to five, it was either five or six people. And I ended up having 50 cups of coffee in this town. And then the willingness of people in this community to just have coffee with someone, they have no idea who it is. It just blows me away. Like, I mean, people who were later running for big public offices stuff, I'm like, oh, I had coffee with them, huh? Um, that it's would be, it is it's unbelievable. It really is. I, I found that too when, when I was starting Modern Well and had no idea what I was doing. And I, I was like, just asking anybody who, you know, ran a business, successful, ran a business that didn't make it, and like asking anybody and everybody, can you have, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I, buy? I, I probably, I probably had 50, 60, 70 cups of coffee with people. Like, just like you said, people, it's amazing. It, it's, it's amazing. coffee karma. I say it's coffee karma. I'm <laughs> yes. like, I owe the world so much coffee karma. And so especially karma. you're talking to an entrepreneur, you're like, no, no, I'm paying for this now because I'm and you're like going out to 50 cups of coffee and you're trying to figure out what you want to do next in that space. You're like, yeah, 50 cups of coffee. That adds up a lot. <laughs> I remember if you write a book, you should call it 50 cups of, 50 co cups of coffee, yeah. coffee karma. Uh -huh. I don't think anyone would be really excited. Um, but I think the only person who's ever complimenting my writing style is my accounting professor in graduate school. <laughs> so I'm just I don't know if that's in my future, but it's, it's a great, I mean, you know, and, and you said that I love when you, you know, you just say the power of the handshake, right? Like I think so much of what you have talked about in all of your, all of your twists and turns with your education and your different jobs. And I mean, reinvention after reinvention after reinvention um, is you know, it, it's relationships, right? It's, it's about, it's about building and connecting and treating people with respect al along, along the way, the whole journey. Cause you just never know on any twist or turn, you, you can bump right into somebody who, you know, you treated hopefully with tremendous respect. Um, and they remember you and want to do business with you or want to come work with you or, you know, and I think I, I love, I love that it, it sort of, I heard that in everything that you, that you talked about in terms of the power of, of building relationships and making your mother proud and, and connecting with people and meeting people where they're at. I, 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 the other thing I would add that I heard and um, resonates with me deeply um, is not making assumptions or stereotypes on the, the value that somebody has in the role that you're playing or the work that you're doing, right? Because for those of us who have worked in a manufacturing environment before, you know, when you hit that plant, there are 10 other people just like you who are going to, you know, come in for maybe two years and they want to make their mark, right? They want to do the cool thing. 
Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the people who are holding it down are the folks that have been there 20, 30, 40 years, and they know how everything runs. And the power of understanding that your learning comes from all of these folks, right? How the lines work. You know, I worked in a union facility and there were things that they let me do that they would not let my peers do. I was the only one who did not have a nickname and you know, these nicknames were not cool. So, but I remember thinking when I left, I asked um, our union president at the time, Frank, and I was like, Frank, I never got a nickname. And he said, you didn't need one. You're Stephanie, which I think was his way of saying, you know, you came in who you are and treated us like who we are. And so that's what I heard too in, in Leslie and the story that you're saying is really kind of stepping into things. Part of, you know, doing your mom right is recognizing that the assumptions or the stereotypes that you bring in, you got to check yourself because everyone and anyone can be supportive, helpful. And that's the same thing that we look for you know, when we're walking into environments and people see us, right? Like, and I sat in the front row too, Leslie, in part because I was like, oh oh my God, I don't, what are you talking about? Um, But also because I do think I felt like I need these people to know in this electrical engineering class, in this thermo class, whatever it is, that I am serious. And there were, you know, six women and two African-Americans and I would be sitting in the front row with my ponytail slightly askew, probably blocking somebody's view, but that was not my problem. Exactly. So, So Leslie, how did you, here's what I'm interested in. Pinnacle Performance Group. How does one decide to purchase a business? That, that is a very good question. Um, (laughs) So found my private equity job, went, moved on, um, and was kind of at the, okay, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Uh, or when I, when I grew up, it was more of the thing again. I went and talked to a bunch of people, learned the power of coffee, and um, had a, a, a mentor um, who I think I just had gotten introduced at the time, a gentleman by the name of Scott Burns, who's a great entrepreneur um, and an advocate for St. Paul, uh, tell me, like, why don't you buy a company? I was like, Hmm. okay, I just worked in private equity. I kind of know how to do that. And, you know, why not? Why shouldn't I buy a company? And I think that's where the, like, the, the bad, the good and bad of the entrepreneurial spirit comes in. Like, why not? Why shouldn't I do that? Um, I had, I did have the bad idea that I was like, well, I can't be an, I can't start a business because I don't have any ideas. And by the way, my husband's in graduate school, so I need to get paid. Well, ha. That was a funny assumption. So um, I uh, I ended up looking at business broker websites, which are like Craigslist for business. And it was like tanning salon, video store, laundry mat. And then there was this one that was professional services firm. I was like, oh, I know something about that. And it was about connecting frontline people, building their capabilities to, to be successful. And I was like, oh, that when I worked at McKinsey, that was like the thing that like I really found passion around. So I went out, I'd say dated these people for like six to nine months who were retiring and selling their company and like 
<clears throat> all sorts of fun and figuring out finances, but again, like a whole nother round of cups and cups of coffee to pick people's brains and some pretty amazing people who are willing to take a bet on me personally and invest behind me. Um, yeah, then I, I owned a company and it was a, a training company that uh, did think something called instructional design that I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I had no idea that was a discipline. I'm like, well, my hypothesis was um, there's really good training and there's really bad training. At McKinsey, I'd had some like life-changing, amazing training experiences. In other places, I'd had some not good, um, good training experiences. So it felt like there was an opportunity in the space for improvement and um, also a place that not a lot of people necessarily said, I'm going to like innovate and bring all my power to this place. And so I, I went to, um, I think I went to the either Zalo or the local downtown with a couple of my friends from business school. And I like gave them the little booklet and I was like, okay, tell me why I shouldn't do this. And the one's like, if you don't buy this company, I'm going to, oh, I'm like, okay, we'll try it. <laughs> three years later or two years later, we had, you know, $3 in our bank account. I was running my own credit card through my own PayPal account. Amex does not like that at all. You kind of get in trouble um, trying to make payroll. And, but you know, that's, that's also the journey. Wow. That, I mean, not, not everybody can do that. <laughs> that, that. That's like, like a little, it sounds like it felt a little bit like jumping off a cliff maybe. Um, how do you think you like had the strength and the confidence to, to do that? Um, so the, the, the deeper answer is I had um, probably the last couple of years before that gone through a pretty, traumatic divorce okay. and my whole life had fallen apart I'm like well that was bad I've already been there so how bad can it be I um for better or worse I think once you know what low feels like and the bottom you're like okay I survived that I can do this again um so that that is the the true but also flippant answer of like I've come back from nothing already like try it again. And I didn't think I was coming back from nothing when I bought the company. So I think that's also the, um, just general inherent positivity of like, I figured why not bet on myself? I haven't failed yet. And I think also getting really comfortable with what failure means, like truly trying it on and sitting in it. And, um, in this process, I, um, went from having a boyfriend to a fiance to now a husband. And we had, you know, we had some pretty deep conversations. I mean, I did the, all the classic things, maxed out all my credit cards, drained my 401k, all this stuff. We put our house on the market to try to leverage that equity. And um, we, we had a very clear plan that if we lost everything, we would go and live on the beach in Hawaii for a couple months and lick our wounds because the beaches you can camp on for free in Hawaii. So we just had to save enough money to get a plane ticket. And we both had lots of points. So we'd go there, we'd do that. We'd come back, we'd move in the basement of one of our parents' houses and start over. And once you sit in that, there could be worse things, you know, where we both have our health. We both have our health. We're not facing death, you know, how it's, it's all physical stuff that doesn't matter. So things and I perspective. I think that that is, what's interesting, Leslie, is it's, 
it's only been in the last few years that I have heard more people say, I think, I think a lot of us think of starting your own business. That's what you do, right? Like you, if you come out of corporate, then you start your own business. And, but I've had more than one person. In fact, one of my closest friends that was like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but I would purchase a business that's already, that's already established. The stuff is already in place. I don't, I don't want to kind of come up with my own thing. And so what I love about that is for people who are looking to reinvent, there are more options than having to pull out a pen and paper and start a business from scratch, right? There are business brokers and you could own a tanning salon or you can own a car wash or you could own a, a training group. And, you know, for some people, while to me, I might be like, oh my God, that feels overwhelming. For some people, what feels overwhelming is starting a business from scratch, right? Yeah. Like, and well, then I, think it's, I was going to say, it's the, it's the, what do you want to do with that outcome too? Um, I think the having spent a couple of years in private equity gave me the person, the understanding of like, it seems so sexy to like, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to raise money and get investors. And, um, but then what that means is you're going to be held to a high standard, a torch under your feet and you're gonna to have to sell because those investors want their money back. And people are like, what? Yeah, that's, that's how that deal works. You get money in, you got to give them money back. And the way you get money back is you sell. <clears throat> and so I think it's also knowing there's more options and they're not as sexy. Like, you buy a business that has a good cash flow, you go to the bank and you get a loan. I mean, that that's not the like California Silicon Valley story, but like there's a lot of benefits to that, you know, having some, I wish mine was more stable when we started, but it is what it was. But, um, you know, debt financing is a great thing. You can pay it off and it's still yours at the end. So yeah, well, and, those options. And, you know, let's say I appreciate, you know, thank you for, for sharing that more personal, personal, vulnerable story. Cause I think, um, I think that the truth is, is a lot of people like, you know, yeah, it just, it, it's like, oh, it's so sexy. Yeah. You know, she bought a business and she started her own company, you know, and it's like, usually, I mean, it, I mean, there, a lot of times there can be a pain point that actually springboards you to making a move. I mean, I personally, you know, before I started Modern Wall, I, I had hit a really, really low point in my life. Um, just a lot of things going on, you know, that were going on even just like, you know, menopause and just all, all the, you know, all the things as, as women go through, my kids were getting older. They didn't need me as much. Like I was just like in this really, really low place. And I think what you said about failure and about looking like people say, Oh, don't worry. You know, don't talk about failure. Don't, don't think like that. Don't. And it's like, I actually like you, like I had to stare it down. I had to look and say, okay, what if this does not work? And, and people say, oh, don't think about that. No, no, no. I need to think about it. I need to think about, like you said, okay, am I going to go <laughs> and live on the beach in Hawaii if this thing like just doesn't work and I lose all the money that I invest or whatever it is? And it's like, I think people are so afraid 
to look at failure and just stare it down. But I think that that is really super important to, to do that as part of the process. Not that you have to like go down the failure hole and be like, oh, okay, I can't do it because if I fail, then I'm living on the beach in Hawaii, which, um, mm. or whatever it is. But like, but I think that's a really important point for our listeners is that is, is to have conversations with what, with failure, like, okay, that is one potential outcome. Like, this, you can't go into a business and say, I'm a hundred percent. This is going to succeed. I'm going to make all my money back. I'm going to pay off all my loans. I'm going to da, da, da. like, there is that option. Like maybe not. And so I, I love that you talked about that because I think, I think it's really important, um, for people to be super honest when you take a risk, it's a risk. Right? And I think too, for women in particular, the thing that we don't like to talk about, but you have to talk about it is money. Yes. Right? Because at the end of the day, most of us are making decisions and we're like, I would like to start a business or buy a business, but I got to pay these bills, right? I have um, no significant other, right? So it's me and these kids, or I have a significant other and they're in school, or I have a significant other and he has a great job, but we have set up our life in a certain way that does not allow for me to be sitting with my feet up. And so I think that that is important. And I appreciate you, you calling that out, honestly, Leslie, that this wasn't, I, you know, went out to the money tree and was like, money tree, I need to buy this business. I put my money in the business and poof, like magic, you know, 50 fold. And now, you know, we're backstroking in cash. And so I think it's just important for us to be able to talk about the realness. I completely agree. And it is, it's very real, but I think also people, especially if you've come out of corporate America, get so attached to that money and the idea that like, I must make more or I have to advance. Like why? I always say you don't just get more money you earn more money and you have to work harder and you have more responsibility and you get more phone calls at night and there are more hours. Like it, 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 the, the two, their stress is higher. The two are correlated. And what do you really need? I think going back to like fundamentally, if you stripped away, like, do I you know, trade it in my car for a used car? And like, if you start stripping away all those things and like, you know, being laser focused in on like, truly, what do I have to have? It, it really can change your paradigm. And I think that is the biggest inhibitor um, for both men and women to following their passions and what they want to do because they think about what should they do and what does society tell them that they need to do? Society says you need the next title and the next position and more money. At some point in time, money, I'm like, I don't know, you have to, you have to either book, you have to believe that money does not bring happiness. There's a certain threshold of taking care of your family, which I a hundred percent believe like you reach a point though, and it doesn't get you anything. So tell us, so what is the day in the life for Leslie now? Day in the life I've spent uh, the last 14 months in my basement, um, like many of us have post COVID. 
And uh, so um, it's a little different, but a lot the same. So I spent a lot of my time is um, probably more so spent working in the business right now. I'm w working on the goal of spending more time working on the business in my role as CEO. Um, but I'm still kind of a sucker for the good meaty client problem of how do you just roll up your sleeves and dissect something and put in plan, put in place plans to make something better. Um, and then partner with people to bring it to life. Like, I think that's what's the super cool thing about my job is I get to do something that brings me a ton of passion. Um, but in the like exciting thing, like I spend my day on video calls pretty much all day right now. Um, but it's a combination of like working with our internal pinnacle teams and helping solve problems. It's spending time with client teams and helping them solve problems. It's also spending time with people one-on-one -on -one and I kind of refer to it as sort of bringing the humanity back into the workplace. Um, we are a very cultures and value driven organization. Um, our number one rule is take care of yourself, take care of your family, do good work in that order, never compromise. And um, one of my jobs is to also ensure that we're all living up to those values. And also sometimes we fail, like sometimes, like we've had some really busy times lately and we're not quite living up to what we've committed to our employees. And so it's also being willing to say, something's not working. We got to step back. We have to figure out what's, what's wrong and try better. Um, so it's also being that, that open leader who is willing to hear the feedback and get the input and can just continue to do our best. Going back to lesson learned number one, all we can do is our best and keep trying and try better, you know, try and learn and improve the next time. That's awesome. And well, so obviously, um, you didn't need to, uh, go live on the beach in Hawaii. So, <laughs> So sometimes it sounds nice. It sounds nice. It does sound awesome. But uh, so that's that's wonder. It's a wonderful story, and um, you know, thank you for for sharing for sharing your journey with us. So um, to to wrap up here today, what's what's next for you? You're you're about to have baby number two. Congratulations! Congratulations! Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and what else? Um. You know, our organizational focus right now is um, intentional growth. Um, going back to the, that time with the folks in Atasca, we view our, our mission is to do two things. One, by growing, we can give more people an opportunity to work in a different way. So we have a unique business model that um, everybody's hourly. So we, have, we hire a ton of these just amazingly smart people who for whatever reason have stepped off the corporate treadmill. So people who want to work like 20 hours a week, um, come and work for us in an environment where we're like, Oh, your kid gets off the bus at three 30. We proactively talk and plan about that. So we, we feel a commitment to growth so we can go give more people an opportunity to work in that way and, um, prove, prove to the world it works. Um, and then knowing, you know, looking at those great leaders like Marilyn Carlson Nelson and Ken Powell and um, knowing that as we continue to grow as a business, you know, we might be small but mighty, but um, how do we start to take responsibility for our part in the community um, to give back? Um, and in the last year, uh, with most of our employees being based in the greater uh, Minneapolis area, we've recognized our time to start on that journey. We are big enough that we need to do our part. 
Um, so we've started that with an intentional focus on social justice. And right now we're focusing on ourselves. We are focusing on our each of our individual growth journeys and um, what, what biases have we carried? What things do we need to do to um, address systemic racism? Um, how, you know, as I'm just call a spade a spade, an unfortunate company that um, does not have one African-American person on staff. How is that and how do we change that? Um, and so we're, we're also, you know, we're, we're working to get better and be part of the solutions in our world. Because ultimately what we do is we solve tough problems. But most of the time we do that for corporations, but there's some other big tough problems in the world and we need to prepare ourselves as humans and individuals to also solve those problems. That's awesome, Leslie. And it's, um, it's tough work, it's good work. Um, so thank you um, as another CEO that's stepping into it. I think it is important that people see um, that social justice work um, at the top of the house as well as throughout the organization. Um, we are um, excited to have you uh, join us um congratulations on all of the things all the things um, there's <laughs> lots um lots uh, to thank you for thank you to pinnacle performance group that you can connect um listeners at pinnacleconnection.com and then i do also want to join julie in thanking all of our listeners um listeners we love you. Please, you know, share this episode and all the other episodes with all of your friends. Um, Julie and I feel both privileged, honored, and humbled to be able to bring stories like Leslie uh, to all of you to just give you another glimpse, another idea of what life can be like when you follow a path that isn't the path you were supposed to take or the path that everyone told you you should take. And so um, I just want to thank all of our listeners again for continuing to be there to hear these wonderful stories. Yes. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, listeners. And um, wow, this was, this was inspirational. <laughs> I was taking a lot of notes. I know, me too. Leslie brought it all. She brought social justice. She brought you know, listen to your mother. She brought, you know, do you, she do brought, you, you know, yeah. all power of things. relationships, <laughs> the power of, you know, be honest about finances, have a plan. It might be on a beach in a tent. Um, and so we appreciate all of that because if, if there's one thing Julie and I love, we love transparency and we love candor and you brought all of that, Leslie. So thank you so much. Thank you both for having me today. Thanks for listening to another episode of hernextchapter.co. You can follow us on Instagram at hernext.chapter. And you can find all of our lovely, fun, fabulous podcasts on all those places where podcasts can be found. Please follow us and give us five stars. We'd be so delighted and tickled. And we hope that you are enjoying your time with us. Last but not least, hernextchapter.co. You can check us out there as well. See you next week.